Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. This is the Media Project, a half hour of commentary and analysis on the key news media issues of the week, and we're grateful that you've joined us. I'm Rex Smith, editor-at-large of the Times Union, and I will be your host along with my three friends recording from our separate COVID-forced studios. Dr. Alan Chartok is here, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio and founder of this program. Thank you for having us, Dr. Chartok. It's nice of you to remember that little factoid. I appreciate it very much. I'm just patting myself on the back. (laughs) Rosemary Armeo is here, investigative journalist and a journalism educator. Rosemary, are you doing okay today? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me. And Barbara Lombardo is here, longtime editor of the Saratogian, executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record, teaching journalism at UAlbany. Barbara, are you primed and ready for this conversation? I am here in my dining room studio. Rearing a go. Your tiny room studio. Terrific. Well, I want to get you all to react to something that our producer, David Gustina, sent around for us to take a look at. And that has to do with how we describe what's going on in the country, how we cover it. And now I'll turn to you first. The article comes from a liberal newsletter called Common Dreams, uh, where a writer declares that journalists are not explicit enough about the clear threat to democracy points out that the president has declared his intention to withhold federal election funds from states that are trying to make it easier to vote. You know, he's deputized poll watchers to intimidate people, that he's asked his supporters to commit felony of double voting. So the question is, how do you cover this? The critique is that the news media, this is based upon his research into the large news organizations, is not being explicit enough is not saying Trump is trying to steal the election, and this analyst thinks we ought to be more explicit about that. What do you think about that idea? Well, Rex, I think that's correct. My own personal view from watching and listening to the president is that he offers a tremendous threat to what we know as American democracy. And that if it continues, I think there's a very good chance this country is going to go totalitarian. That's my view. If you find that to be the case, then this is a time when everybody has to be yelling at the top of their lungs and making it clear that something terrible is happening. Because if that doesn't happen, you can only imagine what the results will be. And as far as I'm concerned, that's one reason why people ought to be saying what they're thinking. I know I certainly do, but I do know that the folks at public radio are being very careful about walking in the middle of the road. It's an interesting point. What the writer points out is that what you basically get is articles saying scenarios of how Trump could steal the election rather than what is actually happening. Rosemary, what do you think about this conversation? Well, I think it's really hard for journalists, and it is one that we should be confronting. We have had to since 2015. What can you say about Donald Trump? 
And I do think there's been a lot of negative Trump media coverage. The roundtable does it every day, and the pushback is, oh, you guys are so biased. If he found a cure for cancer, you wouldn't praise him. And so there is that danger, too. And when we have a reputation of going right down the middle, and now suddenly we don't want to go right down the middle, it makes us look biased. And indeed, look at what we're saying. We have to say he's a big danger. That's definitely biased. So it is I not biased. That, it is not biased. Pardon my interruption. <laughs> it is not biased, Barbara said. I think the only way to prove the point is to show lots and lots of evidence. So I think we have to do a lot more reporting. The evidence is right there in the president's own words. If he doesn't win the election, it's a rigged election. He has said over and over now that this election, if he doesn't win, is false. They're encouraging people to bear arms. They are encouraging people to cheat on the elections. And I thought this was a great piece by that Common Dreams writer. It is imperative that the press keep reporting what really is and not dance around. When you're in the middle of the road, you can still get run over. I had just finished Ah. this little book on tyranny, and there is a page in there that talks about in February 1933, a newspaper for German Jews had this editorial about how things can't really go bad here for us, people won't let it happen, that European powers are going to act together, institutions will protect us, and that people will lean toward ethical behavior. They were naive. They sound like a lot of us do now, and terrible things can and I think will happen if we don't, we being all of the media, just call it what it is and not try to have that false objectivity in the news coverage. We need to keep repeating what he is really saying and planning to do. And one thing I would add to that, Barbara, is not only that, he's also making utterances like a third term. Presidents are forbidden under the United States Constitution from doing that. And if you listen to that and you take it at all seriously, now we're talking about a putsch or totalitarianism. And if not now, when? Yeah, we're normalizing his lies by just sort of accepting them. All the lies that are being told that we can keep reporting over and over, and we have to keep reporting over and over and exposing as lies, not as a he said, she said, not as a Biden responds with this or that, but what he is really saying. I, I have never felt that our country was in such danger as I do now, and that the media but can make a difference. I think anyone listening to this is going to see exactly why the media is in the trouble that it's in. It's not black or white. It's not either complete objectivity or call them a liar every day and nothing else. There is something down the middle, which is you report what he says, and then you show the evidence that he is wrong. And if we don't find a more balanced, and I'm not saying completely balanced on the one hand, on the other, I'm saying a way to present the evidence against him in a different way, we run the risk of no one listening to us. I think that's already happening. I'm not advocating this out of some loving, loyal principle to journalistic objectivity. I'm saying it because it doesn't work to just keep pounding about how bad he is. Well, I I think you're right, Rosemary, that we have to say it and back it up with the evidence. And the evidence is often his very own words and what the government is doing. But we can't be wussy about it. Right. So you all have said exactly what I expected that you would in bringing this out. And we've had a lot of conversations here reflecting the national conversation at the higher levels of journalism saying that journalistic objectivity has failed, that the effort to be what has over the recent years become known as the voice of nowhere, this journalistic model of he said, she said, obviously has failed. And we all believe that we can't do that. The question is, 
how do you operationalize the post-objectivity world in journalism? How do you actually do that in your content? And I wonder if we are not being forced into something that we talked about on this show 10 and 15 years ago as Fox News was emerging, as Fox News began to focus on a particular audience, trying to build an audience only among the conservative viewers. I wonder if we are all needing to say, okay, the notion of a mass audience for journalism is not going to survive in America. We need to think about what audience we are going for and serve that audience thoroughly and be truthful and adhere to truth, but recognize that we aren't going to be able to satisfy everyone because of the presuppositions that people bring to the stories that they're reading. And what does that do if we do that? What does that do to journalism that tries to inform everyone, that tries to reach everyone? That is, doesn't that kill it? If what we are doing is telling the truth about Donald Trump that so alienates his supporters that they are not willing to listen to us, read us, watch our channels anymore, where do we go from there if we're only preaching to people who already believe what we're saying? Well, you know, I was watching CNN from the very beginning. And in the beginning, they were very loath to call out the president. At least it seemed that way to me. They weren't allowing themselves to call him a liar. Now, at this stage, they are saying in another untruthful utterance or whatever they say, they're calling it for what it is. I've been very impressed with Barbara Lombardo on the program today because I think we are in such a incredibly malignant time with this president that it is the responsibility of the press to call out the president for what he's doing and saying. And by the way, he said the other day on the air, I heard him say, I don't understand why the press doesn't like me. He didn't say some press. He said the press. And he's been saying that from the very beginning when he called it the enemy of the people. No, I have no tolerance for the argument that we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. I agree with you, that, Dan Allen. But the question that I'm asking is, what do you do when you've chased away your listeners on the right by your, yes, truth telling? Then how do you ever reach them? What is our solution to try to bring the kind of truth-telling that we think is essential to democracy to people who aren't inclined to listen to us. We have a program every morning called The Panel. It's part of our roundtable show. And people write in and they say what they want. There is no sense I have that the people on the right aren't there because they're writing us lots of letters. And we read them. They're critical, but we read them, and that includes them. So as far as I'm concerned, the basic premise that we're driving them away isn't true. Okay, I had a glimmer of hope this week when there was a town hall, and Trump himself appeared, and he answered questions from the public, and he did terribly. He exposed himself. There was no filter, no media calling him a liar. He exposed himself as a liar. And so perhaps the role of the media now could be enhanced if we did more of the Times Union does this all the times, Rex, is to bring community meetings to call him out, to come out and talk to people himself. He doesn't need the filter of the media. We just, if he gets out there, he's going to show himself in his true colors.
Barbara, what are you thinking about this? I was raising the same question in my mind that you were asking when I was reading The Common Dreams, that we're going to see more news sites that are geared toward a point of view, which doesn't mean that the stuff that they're presenting is not credible and accurate, but that there will be more targeted publications online. And then I was going to bring up what Rosemary was saying about the town hall, because the people who were asking terrific questions and asking them in a very assertive way, and they were well grounded, informed questions, they got their information somewhere. So these are supposed to be the undecided swing voters, and their questions reflected a knowledge of the issues and how it affected the world, the nation, and themselves. So they got that information from somewhere. Television news, what they're reading on the left and the right, I don't know. But it means that they are paying attention to news. What do you guys think that's coming from? that wherever they're getting their news from, we want to keep giving it to them. You know, I love that because all the time we are reading letters from our listeners from the right who are saying things like, how come no one is talking about thus and so? Your point is exactly right. Well, yeah, well, where did you learn about it? Well, where are they learning about it? (laughs) They're learning about it from the press. Each one of those questioners, the ones who are most affecting, had personal experiences with the thing that they were asking about racial justice or problems with health care. And that's missing in the press. They have an authenticity that journalists do not. We're the third hand asking people what their experiences were. It was real and emotional because they were going through it. They were asking for themselves, not as some sort of fake representative for other people. That's a great point, Rosemary. So it means when you have a personal concern, whether it's finances or health or race, that you are going to also hopefully become informed on issues that relate to you and how to solve your problem. So maybe they're turning specifically to various sources to understand their position or to help themselves. I heard a very smart journalist this week, a guy named Ethan Zuckerman, who has now run something called Global Voices, but he's been one of the pioneers of digital journalism over the last 20 years, make the point that any conversation talking about the future of news, which we do hear a lot, that doesn't talk about the context of social media and uh, Google and Google search and so on is misleading because we are pulled each direction all the time. And that what we really need to do is look at small journalism communities built around their values rather than trying to fix the big community of journalism. That is to look at ways that we can affect smaller in scope rather than to solve the problems of journalism and social media. And I'm taken by a piece that we've each read about reviving democracy requires reviving local journalism, that we know that the loss of local newsrooms has hurt civic engagement. Uh, We have about half the number of people in U.S. newspaper newsrooms as we had in 2008. And what is happening is local community civic engagement is therefore falling. Without strong local newsrooms, which in every community around the country has been newspapers for the last generations, but there's not the kind of critical uniting feature that fosters broad participation in democracy. So what we really need to do is find individual local solutions to having local newsrooms. So that gives like me what? some hope. Well, like, for example, talk about, Alan, what's going on in the Berkshires. I mean, you have the major newspaper in western Massachusetts, the Berkshire Eagle, has reduced its days of print circulation 
in order to focus on digital. And you have uh, small local news organizations popping up, like the Berkshire Edge, right? This really needs to be what happens in every local community around the country. And there are efforts to provide funding for that sort of thing, small-scale efforts. In my 40 years covering local news, I never saw a great civic involvement. That's why the journalist, the local journalist, was so important. The person who sat there into those long, boring school board meetings and planning board sessions late into night, who put the pieces together, who watched those officials to make sure they weren't cheating and stealing. It was always the journalists, and now they're gone. I I don't think it's just local news. It's reporting that needs to be done, some sort of civic guardians. I I don't even know if it has to be journalists. If the market is not there for journalism, is is there something else there that could be done to make sure there's somebody who's watching over these boards and officials? They're running wild now throughout the country, and digital newspapers are no better because they're run on a shoestring. We don't have people going to meetings and looking at records and digging up stuff. I have talked about it, as you know, about this woman in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, Eileen Mooney, right? Rex, you've told me that I've talked about this many, many times. And she's done this incredible job. She puts out this this sheet all the time, and she goes to every single meeting, and she says what everybody said, and she fills this very void, which you guys are talking about. And let me tell you something. She's tough. And if she sees something she doesn't like, she says it. She's even been known to sue. Isn't the encouraging fact, though, that there are some efforts to put local journalists on the job? Report for America, for example, provides funding for young journalists to go into local communities that might otherwise have areas uncovered. Uh, Local news organizations that survive can apply for funding. Like if you're the Berkshire Eagle and you say, well, I don't have anybody anymore to cover this particular issue. I have nobody to cover the environment in the Berkshires. You can get funding from Report for America to hire an environmental reporter Young, inexperienced, but that's the kind of reporter who might typically come to that newsroom originally anyway. And I think that there is some hope that this might happen, but it requires sustained support by not-for-profit, by big foundations, and reader support in the form of subscriptions. I think that there is hope that this can happen and it can really help sustain democracy from the ground up. I don't know, Barbara, you ran a local newsroom for so many years so effectively. Do you think I'm being uh, Pollyanna-ish here? Only a little bit, because I share a lot of that optimism. Even though I am so fearful that we're heading headlong into fascism, I am also still hopeful that there are people who will rise to the occasion and demand and seek ways to have local news. However, you need to have the news the organizations that are interested in making that happen. So when the Saratogian is owned by a hedge fund, they are not interested in, as far as I can tell, even applying for help to improve coverage. They're just trying to figure out how they can continue to squeeze every nickel out of the companies that they own. So the newsroom itself is trying to do the best it can with almost no people. And so it's not like they're not covering anything but it's, it falls way short. And when you and I were competing, you were running the big guy and I was running the little guy. I used to cringe when you guys were cherry-picking issues for the Times Union out of Saratoga. We're, we're stuck doing the routine stuff day after day after day to keep people up on the news. And now I'm grateful for the work that the Times Union does on tackling issues that are of concern to Saratoga Springs and the surrounding communities. 
So I'll take what I can get. I'm mildly hopeful. Yeah, I feel that way about Alan's interviews with members of Congress, the congressional corner, because the, the problem is the citizens who don't get the volume of coverage in their local press can't evaluate, for example, their member of Congress, and they're therefore less likely to vote. And so even though WANC has broad reach, bringing individual members in to talk, those who will do so, is a good thing, though they are reluctant. I know some of them just won't do it. I don't know what you can do about that, Alan. Uh, Keep repeating yeah. that they won't yeah. come on, and you've invited them. Sure. Elise Stefanik is a very good example. From the North Country, a uh, Republican, uh, Trump has made a great deal out of her. She came on one time, and then we haven't seen her since, and that was a long time ago. So you have to keep saying she was invited. That's all you can do. If you're just joining us, folks, by the way, this is the Media Project from WANC, Northeast Public Radio. I'm Rex Smith of the Times Union with Dr. Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, and Barbara Lombardo. If you'd like to share your thoughts, media at wanc.org is how you can do that. Here's a question that is raised every year during uh, presidential elections. Do we pay too much attention to the polls? This is something that is a, is a press issue because every time you turn around, you find an article about who's ahead and who is not, especially this year in swing states. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Biden's up by four points in Pennsylvania. Trump is uh, tied in Florida. Florida. How do you avoid, though? the kind of excitement of that kind of conversation. Anybody have any thoughts about what we ought to be doing about this? Well, why should we be? Why shouldn't we give people what they want? People want to know where the election stands. Now, unfortunately, this is a country where the bandwagon effect is well known. In other words, part of the problem is that if you say Biden is ahead by five or six points, or Trump is ahead, if, if that were the case, which it is not, there would be people who would follow and say, good, I want to be on the winning side. So that's one of the bad things about this. But you guys were all the editors. I wasn't. But I can tell you right now, I look through the paper every day to see how everybody's doing. And I think everybody else does the same thing. I'm for it. Journalists have been yelled at, scolded for their horse race coverage of politics since the 60s at least. And it continues because it's interesting and it is a contest. And I think that's great. I see nothing wrong with it. And I think we've learned a lot since 2015-16, the science of polling, the art of reading polls. All of that are stories that I don't remember seeing before. People are much more sophisticated now because of the overemphasis on Hillary was going to win from the polls of the last election. So I don't think they should be dropped, but always they need to be put in context, and you don't just rely on one poll. You don't make a story out of every poll. But I think in many ways we've done that. We are doing that. Yes, and now some of those polling organizations are corrupt. Let's face it, there are a couple of them, and they've been called out for it by, uh, you know, sites, if you can go and see which of the pollsters have done best in the past and which of them have been looking good at particular candidates. So there are some of these sites online which rate the pollsters, and I think that's good stuff. So, hey, Barbara, I want to get your opinion on this because you've run a newsroom for many years. Scientific American magazine has endorsed a presidential candidate for the first time in 175 years. It endorsed Joe Biden, of course. Here's what I want to know. Do you think that newspapers should stop endorsing presidential candidates? 
absolutely must endorse presidential candidates. It's the opportunity to tell readers, and they could say that we're full of baloney or that, hey, this is credible. You endorse a political candidate, you endorse a presidential candidate, and you explain in the editorial the reasons for the endorsement with facts. And we have a responsibility to do that, and any publication that doesn't do it is shirking its responsibility. We're supposed to be using our bully pulpit in a way to protect America, to inform America, to enable citizens to make informed decisions, and we have an obligation to provide that role. Rosemary, you buy that? Nope. I think it's immaterial. Nobody reads them, nobody cares, and they frequently have the opposite effect. The last time when I think it was three newspapers in the whole country endorsed Trump, that was seen as evidence of gross media bias against Trump. So you think if there are no editorials, people can say they don't agree with them and they don't like them. But to say nothing is as if that we don't have an opinion about the outcome and that we think whatever happens is okay. That's part of the democracy. We can't just sit back and abdicate our responsibility. And every major newspaper in my first district of Massachusetts endorsed Richie Neal against his opponent, Alec Morris. Neal won for a lot of reasons. I'm not saying it's only this, but he won by 20 points, almost 20 points. That's incredible. What about the fact that newspaper endorsements can sometimes confuse people, that folks don't understand the difference between news coverage and opinion pages of the newspaper? Mm. Or, you know, for that matter, people probably think that WAMC endorses candidates because of the conversations on the roundtable in the mornings. But we keep making the point that we do not endorse candidates. We're a public radio station. We We can give our opinions as individuals, but we do not endorse candidates. And we are not believed. Again, I go back. Every editorial almost went against Trump, and that was seen as proof that he could never get fair coverage by reporters who have no say in in editorials. You and I and everybody, uh, many people listening to the show know that, but the average reader does not. They see it as part and parcel. I do think it's confusing, and it is an old institution that maybe needs to go away or be changed. Rosemary gets the last word this time, and we will let our readers offer their thoughts at media at WAMC.org. I'm Rex Smith from the Times Union. Thanks to Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, and, of course, Alan Shartok for thoughtful commentary today. To you for listening to us, to our producer, David Gustina, for making this all possible. Join us again next week, please, on The Media Project. Back yonder to her uncle in Podunk. Now newspaper men meet such interesting people. It must have startled poor old Sadie's uncle. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Hold the press, hold the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ting-a-ling, ting-a-ling, ling-a-ling-a-ling. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at W. WAMC.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the show. Now, publishers are such interesting people. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. 
funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.